Sunday we're going to talk about um, uh, what's called costly grace. But before we did that, I wanted to just take some time today to mention a couple of things that I won't have time to mention on Sunday and give a little little intro. So uh, when we first started Christmas break, the week after our last um, Christmas service on the 18th, I believe that was the date, uh, I started reading a book that I've read portions of in the past um, but just felt led to start reading it, and it's called Orthodoxy by G.K. Chesterton. Um, it's a classic book. Um, if you go to seminary at any point, they might ask you to read it. It's just a you know classic church book. Anyway, and uh, the first chapter just, I mean, it just pulled me in because, A, it was the my style. You know, it was just kind of like I, I like the way that G.K. Chesterton thinks, Um but the but the thing that he kind of um, the way that he framed what he was saying was brilliant, and I, I want to mention this just for a second. And I'm just going to read a couple of verses in Mark, and um, and that's it. But uh, he's writing this book to defend what he calls orthodoxy. Orthodoxy, ortho means straight, um, so it's where you get you know like orthopedics, for example. Um, ortho means straight, and doxy means a bunch of different things. Worship. Um, but but essentially, orthodoxy is right teaching or right way of thinking in terms of the church and theology, and um, and so when we say orthodoxy, what we're saying is is essentially what was the original theology and teaching and understanding of the original church is, is essentially what we're saying. So G.K. Chesterton set out um, really in response. He wrote a book before this called Heretics, and um, or heresy. I think it was called heresy, actually. Um, don't quote me on that. But anyway, and uh, essentially the whole book was talking about heresy that was going on in his church and, you know, the the teachings around him, etc. And the response to that teaching was, well, it's easy for you to throw stones and not actually say what you believe. And so then he follows up with this book called Orthodoxy, where he gives essentially what he believes. Well, anyway, in the first chapter, uh, he frames it by telling a story of a man in a yacht, okay? And so I'm not going to read it. Uh, I really want to, but I'm not going to read it. Uh, but this is what he uh, he essentially says in super layman's terms. Uh, he says, basically, think of, think of this. A man gets in a yacht, and he travels across the ocean in search of a new land, right? And he finds what he thinks is a new land, but as he begins to discover this land, what he discovers is it's actually not a new land. It's actually an old land that has already been discovered. It's just new for him. And so this isn't like land that no one's ever found before, that no one's ever settled in. He says what it actually is is land that might be new to the man in the yacht, but that's actually been settled in forever, for, for centuries. And... um. And then he, he essentially frames his orthodoxy by saying, what I discovered when I set out to discover what was real and what was right about God and the church and believers, etc., uh, what I found was what was new to me was actually not new at all. Um, and this is the, the quote that I gave a couple Sundays ago, but he ends this first chapter by saying this. Um, the man from the yacht thought he was the first to find England. I thought I was the first to find Europe, 
Okay, and, and essentially he's 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 finishing that story by saying the man of the thought he was the first to find England, but he found out he was not. Um, and I thought I was the man in the yacht. I thought I was the first to find Europe, but I discovered I was not. And this is how he ends it. He says, I did try to found a heresy of my own. And when I put the last touches to it, I discovered that it was orthodoxy. I set out to found a heresy of my own and when I had put the finishing or the last touches to it, I discovered that it was orthodoxy. Okay, so he sets out and he says, I set out to found, I set out to figure out if what I think, if what I believe is actually orthodoxy, which in his time was considered heresy compared to what other people were teaching around him. But as he discovered what he believed, he found out not only was it not heresy, it was actually orthodoxy. And this is the journey that we've been on for the past, you know, almost may it be two years, is that we have been discovering what the cross and atonement and the love of God and, you know, all that stuff, reconciliation, what all that stuff is, which seems like heresy to a lot today until you discover that not only is it not heresy, it's actually the orthodox teaching of Scripture. And, and so that's kind of the journey we've been on, but... There's been a missing piece, and this is what I want to talk about, and this is what we're about to start talking about starting this week. There's been a missing piece, and not even necessarily a missing piece. It's been a piece that we've needed to add that we're about to add, okay? And here's the piece. is that if, if we have a God that has given us what I call big grace, okay, where God has given us an infinite amount of grace, that the cross was the forgiveness of sin, that it was the finishing of death, that it was the atonement that was needed for mankind, that it was the reconciliation of mankind back to God, all that stuff. If that's the case, which it is, then who cares about what we do? If Christ has done it all, then what more is there for us to do? Is there anything left for us to do? And that's the danger. And that's why a lot of people, especially in the church today, don't teach about the grace of God in the magnitude that the grace of God actually is. Is because we say, and I, Lord, if I had a dime for every time I heard this growing up, that if we teach too much grace, people will see it as a license to sin. As if the cross was almost the means to an end. We see that it's like, it's like here's how our story goes. There's the cross and then there's eternity, right? And so essentially the only thing the cross matters in is where you spend eternity, right? And this is how we preach the gospel. We say, Jesus died for your sins, so if you get hit by a bus tomorrow, where will you spend forever, in heaven or in hell? And we miss an entire life. You know what I mean? Like we jump from cross to when you're dead and when you spend forever somewhere. And that's not at all what the gospel is. You don't find that anywhere in the New Testament. In fact, I mean, and here we go. This is, you know, I set out to found a little heresy, found it was orthodoxy. You're hard-pressed to find language of heaven and hell even in the New Testament except for relating to what this earth is supposed to look like. You know what I'm saying? You have, you're, you're hard-pressed to find a description of the afterlife heaven in the New Testament. And some people might say, well, what about the book of Revelation? None of the book of Revelation is talking about the afterlife. It's talking about an unveiling of what has happened in our life. And so... 
your 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 hard prayer. What about the streets of gold and the walls of jasper and all that? Those are that's new creation language. That's what this is supposed to be transformed into. That might be what heaven is like. But my point is, is none of the New Testament is thinking in terms of what happens when you die. Because all of the New Testament is approaching those who follow Christ with the understanding of you've already died in order to follow Christ. Therefore, what happens in eternity is nothing but a a magnifying of the life that you've experienced here and now. We have died with Christ. That's past tense language. It's not future tense. We have died with Christ. I've died with Christ, and I have raised with Christ, which means this life that you and I live in right now is not aiming to the day when we die and spend forever in heaven. What we should be understanding is because we have died and have been raised with Christ, we're aiming for the day when the fullness of the life we've experienced here and now is realized in new creation. But, but, The gospel of grace does not give people a license to sin. It gives people a license to live. That's the gospel of grace. When I hear that Jesus died for my sins and they are completely forgiven, that does not make me say, oh, man, sweet, let me go out and sleep around and cheat and, you know, steal and, you know, murder and all that. No. What that says is, let me lay down my life in the same way to experience what the incarnation is. So Christ was incarnate, okay? This is what 2 Corinthians says. He who knew no sin became sin, okay? So that we could become the righteousness of God. He became flesh. Paul says he became sin, right? And that was his end of the incarnation. Now it's our job as the flesh side of the incarnation, as the human side of the incarnation, to become what he is, which is the righteousness of God. That's the equation that Paul gives us. He who knew no sin became sin so that we could become the righteousness of God in Christ. So he became sin. Now our calling is to become the righteousness of God. Not that what we do makes us righteous, but we are righteous. Therefore, we need to become what we are, which is the righteousness of God in Christ. But there is a becoming that has to take place, and this is how it takes place. This is what it says in Matthew chapter 2. I'm going to start in verse 13, just real quick. Jesus went out again beside the sea. The whole crowd gathered around him, and he taught them. And as he was walking along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector booth, and he said, excuse me, and he said to him, follow me. And he got up and followed him. Okay? When you look at the calling of Peter, James, and John, they're out fishing. Okay, that's Matthew. Levi is Matthew, the tax collector. He leaves his tax collector booth behind and follows Jesus. He does not worry about getting everything in place and everything in order and making sure my job is covered and making sure my finances are covered and making sure... No, he just leaves and follows. When you go to Peter, James, and John, when they're out fishing and Jesus calls them to become fishers of men, what do they do? They leave everything and follow. And that's what it means to be a disciple. Uh, We we have, especially in in megachurch world, you know, big church world, 
the buzz topic today is discipleship. You know, we need we need disciples. We need to raise disciples. We need to raise disciples. In fact, most vision statements say something like this. Uh, we reach people far, far from God and teach them to be disciples of Jesus or teach them how to follow Jesus. That's, that's, that's you know, what most vision statements in big churches are. Reach people far from God and teach them how to follow Jesus. The problem is you cannot, I cannot teach someone to follow Jesus until those someones have made the decision to leave everything and follow. Jesus could not teach Matthew how to follow him until Matthew first made the decision to leave his tax collector booth and follow. Levi, or uh, not Levi, excuse me, Peter, um, for example, who became the rock of the church, could not become the rock of the church or receive teaching from Jesus until he first made the decision to leave everything and follow Jesus. So there is, and listen, his sins would have still been covered. Peter's sins would have still been covered on the cross had he not left everything and followed Jesus. He simply would have missed out on being the rock of the church. So him following Jesus was not an issue of whether or not his sins were taken care of. His following Jesus was an issue of him becoming everything that he was designed to become that his sins being taken care of simply made way for. So you and I being forgiven by God does not give us permission to be apathetic and lazy and do whatever we want and maybe we'll show up to church every now and then. No. Our sins being forgiven is the very vehicle which has given us permission to be all that we were made to be, which is ultimately those who have left everything to follow. That doesn't mean you quit your job. That doesn't mean you quit your school. That doesn't mean you quit what you're doing. It doesn't mean you lay down uh, having fun. It doesn't mean any of that. What it means is you've made the decision that when it comes down to the time for you to make any decision with your life, the only requirement that those decisions have to pass through is, does this continually lead me to Christ? And and that's it. And so sometimes that might look like needing to lay down a, a job or needing to lay down a path in school or needing to lay down an opportunity or needing to take up a job or take up a path or take up an opportunity. But all of that is solely decided by leaving everything and following him. And what we have, especially in the Bible Belt, what we have done is we've made Christianity easy. We've made Christianity a, 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 an accessory. You know, so if you walk down the street and ask anybody, are you a Christian? Oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. Oh, yeah, I, yeah, I'm, I love you. God's my number one. And and if I had to guess, most of them probably didn't show up to church during um, Advent at all. You know, Ad, I mean, Advent, I would argue Advent, uh, December, is is if you're going to be involved in church, it you need to be involved in December more than even Easter. Easter does not matter without Advent and the coming of Christ. You know, so everybody show up in Easter in the dresses, but no one half the time shows up to church in December because we got stuff going on, right? Leave everything and follow is the call to disciple. So, So you and I both, we cannot be disciples of Jesus. Now, being a disciple of Jesus and your sins being forgiven are not necessarily one and the same thing, right? Your sins are forgiven, but I'm not talking about you being forgiven. 
We're beyond that. Your sins are forgiven. Praise God. Your sins are forgiven, right? You've been reconciled back to God. But if you and I don't then make the transition to discipleship of Christ, we're doing we're trampling on the death of Jesus. That's what Hebrew says. That if we keep going back to our old ways and our old life, all we're doing is we're taking the death of Jesus, God's costly gift to us, and we're putting it under our heel and we're stomping on it just like this and saying, who cares? And what I believe this year is going to be a call for, I'm not doing a word of the year. I think the word of the year is dumb. But if you want to do a word of the year, you do a word of the year, right? Because every time somebody does a word of the year, it's, you know, you know assignment, more, uh, expect, you know, whatever. It, you know, it's always a big and, and big and huge word. Ironically, nobody's word of the year is ever trial or testing, or proving, or refining. You know what I'm saying? Like, nobody has a word like that. It's always big, better, more, next, you know, all that stuff. And I'm, this year, we don't, we don't, here's the word. You ready for the word? This year is the time for you and I to simply let our lives begin to tell the truth about what we believe and who we follow. That's what this year is. Because talk is so cheap. Talk is cheap. You know what I'm saying? Jesus did not say you would know a tree by what it said it was. He said you'll know a tree by its fruit. An apple tree can tell you all day long that it's an orange tree. It can tell you all day long. But when you pick a fruit from it and you take a bite out of it, you realize very quickly, despite what that tree has said, it's an apple tree. So you'll know a tree by its fruit. For the church, you'll know those who God is their number one by how involved they are with the bride, which is the church, okay? By their finances, by their time, by how deep they're allowing the Lord to take them and unveil within them, right? By the choices that they make, by their mindset as it relates to their legacy, right? Damon Thompson says this all the time. Uh, One generation's compromise is the next generation's captivity, So we might think, you know, uh, let me just use me. Growing up, we had all the families that would do AAU basketball. Um, I wasn't good enough in basketball to do AAU basketball. I did do it a few years, but I rode the bench most of the time. Football was my sport, and football in Kentucky, at least, didn't have AAU, so praise God. But um, I had a lot of families that that, uh, are friends that played AAU basketball. AAU basketball happened on mostly Sundays. And so those families made the decision, they made the decision for the most part, Um, that during AAU basketball season, they're going to skip church and travel and play basketball because their kid has a gift. Number one, none of those kids were making it to the NBA, so waste of time, okay? I mean, I'm just being honest. Uh, Most of those kids stunk as it related to other NBA potential people. So number one is a huge waste of time, okay? We just need to get real. Number two, um, what they were telling their kids, they thought they were telling their kids, we're just going to do this for a season, we're still going to go on Wednesday night. But once the season's over, we'll get back involved. They thought that they were doing something so insignificant, they didn't even think about it, right? Most of them today are not in church. Most of those kids are not in church. And do you know why? It's because when they saw their parents making decisions to lay down church, to take up something that meant nothing in the grand scheme of things, You know what that registered in their head? Church means nothing. 
And if church means nothing, God means nothing. And if God means nothing, why do it at all? And and so you have a generation right now of young people that do not want to be involved at church, that are running away from the church. I believe most of them are trying to find Jesus, and the church isn't giving them Jesus personally. But they're running away from church. They're running away from Jesus. They're running away from anything that looks like a good life, and they're embracing insanity. And the reason they're embracing insanity is because they were taught by, not by words, but by action growing up by a lot of their parents, even though they grew up in church because their grandparents took their parents to church, right? They were told by action by their parents that it really doesn't matter. And one generation's compromise has become the next generation's captivity. So you might think that being in church on Sunday is not that big of a deal, But there's going to come a day when you're going to have kids and they're going to have kids and you're going to watch your kids be raised up in a certain way. And that way is not going to be what you say. That way is going to be what you do. Right. And if they see mom and dad chose every other thing but church that came up, guess what? They're not going to be involved in church. And so you're going to have to make the decision. A lot of you don't have kids yet. Some of you aren't even married yet. And so a lot of us are going to have to make decisions. The decisions that we make right now not only determine what happens this week, they determine a trajectory of our legacy. And so the decisions you make today is not just affecting you. The decisions you make today is affecting the next 50, 100, 500 years of the legacy that will one day come from you. And this is, I mean, this is huge. So the church is dying because a few generations ago they made the decision to not care as much. That's why the church is dying today. And the church will die unless you and I and other groups of people around us make the decision that we are going to change the narrative, that we're going to be disciples of Jesus, that we're going to stop settle for cheap grace that cost us nothing and instead embrace the costly grace that actually cost us everything. It's amazing how we'll read verses like, Unless you lose your life, you'll never find it and think that we can find life apart from losing it. You know what I'm saying? And so so preachers now will just preach, tell you how to be happy. I'm going to just teach you how to be happy. I'm going to teach you how to be a leader. You know what I'm saying? Let, let, me, t- let me teach you how to, be, uh, how to follow your dreams and you know, chase your assignment and all that stuff. And listen, you you don't you don't need to think one moment about your assignment. I hate that word. I hate that. I hate it so much. You don't need to think one moment about your assignment until you learn what it means to follow. Peter was not made the rock of the church until he left everything, followed Jesus, and became a disciple of the Messiah. All the disciples that were called, except for John. All the disciples, and that's a no, way, whole nother message, okay? But all the disciples, other than John, that were called to Jesus were martyred. They, it literally cost them physically their life. And that was the choice that they made. Now, for you and I in America, we don't have to make that choice yet. Maybe one day we will. But we don't have to make that choice. It, it, this isn't going to cost me my life. Well, if I keep letting my heart get bad, it might, you know, I'm, I'm just kidding. But you know what I'm saying? But this isn't going to cost. This isn't going to cost us our lives, um, physically. 
but this might cost us our lives career-wise. It might cost us our lives relationship-wise. But, but there is a price to be paid. And like I said, I'm not telling you to quit your job. I, I'm telling you, you need to make decisions right now, today. You need to think ahead to this year and the rest of your life and say, Am I making decisions based on the fact that I have left everything and followed him? Or am I making decisions based on the fact that if I'm being real with myself, I still have control of my life, but I just use God as an accessory every now and then to make me and everybody else around me feel better about myself? You know? I mean, if you show up to church once a month, you can be in complete control of your life and complete control of your destiny. But if you show up to church once a month, you feel a little bit better about it because you, you went to church. And, and that's, I didn't, y- y'all know me, we didn't start this church for that. We, that's not what we started. We started this church to find the handful in Columbia that were ready to make the decision to leave everything and follow. And this would be a place where they could come to do so. That's, this is so, the only reason we exist is to be a place where those who have made the decision to be a disciple of Christ Jesus could find home. And that's why we're here. That's why we're not the biggest church in town. It's because when people come in, they love the teaching, but they do not want to make the decision for the most part yet to leave everything and follow. But those of you that are in here, you've made that decision, and this is the year to remind yourself, for me to remind myself, that we're not here just to do church, that we're not here just because we, you know, we're Christians, and that's what we're supposed to do, and that, you know, we love what's being taught, and that we love the, no, no, no. This is the year for us to remind ourselves, if needed, that we have left everything to follow, and the reason we've left everything to follow is because we believe, genuinely believe, that we can see the kingdom of God cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. We could let, listen, we could let our culture keep going down the path that it's going and let it go into complete and utter ruin. Or we could see our culture redeemed. And the the choice is not on God. He's made the choice to redeem it. The choice is on you and I as to whether or not we will be the vessel that he uses to redeem it. Jesus could have snapped his fingers, saved the whole world, new creation, been done with it. I mean, it's God. He created everything, right? He could have done that. Instead, he died, he reconciled, and then he gave us a call to follow. Why? Because in the very beginning, it wasn't God that was put in control, not in control, Lord. That was, that was um, it wasn't God that was put in leadership of the creation. It was you and I. Adam and Eve were called to be fruitful, multiply, and subdue the earth, not God. So Jesus comes, he reconciles us back to our original standing, and then he gives us the command once again to be fruitful, to multiply, and ultimately to subdue the earth, to bring it under the dominion and kingship of the king. And that's what we do. That's what we're doing. 
And I want to encourage you today, like, like we're, you know we're not going to do this year? We're not going to beg people to tithe. I mean, either you follow or you don't. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I'm mean, just being real. Like, like, either you follow him, which includes your finances, or you don't. I'm, I'm not going to beg you to do something that deep down in your spirit you haven't made the decision to do. I will encourage you. I will encourage you to follow Jesus, but I'm not going to beg anybody to do anything. You know what I'm saying? Like either we either we're real and we follow or we or we don't. And if we don't, that's okay. I just want us to be real about it this year. What I'm going to need this year is for all of us to have thick skin. And I'm going to need all of us to make the decision that we're going to be here in person. There's a good I haven't made this decision yet, but but I'm I'm very close to it of getting rid of live stream for the foreseeable future so that people have to decide either I'm going to be there or I'm not going to know what's going on. You know what I'm saying? And um, and so I haven't made that decision yet, but my, but I'm dead serious about we need to be in the house. COVID has ruined a lot of people's minds. You know what I'm saying? It has ruined a lot of people's minds, okay? It's time to get our minds back. It's time to get our reality back. We're called to gather together, not online, in person, and be the church so that we can see our city transformed. I think there's things that the Lord has wanted to release to our family that he hasn't released yet because the call to leave everything and follow hasn't been fully realized, and it's being fully realized, which means the heavens are going to open, that we're going to receive a new wine that we haven't tasted before, and that new wine will either unlock everything in you that you've been praying for, or it will burst you based on the process that you've allowed him to take you through to make you a new wineskin. And, um, and so, yeah, I'm going to, uh, this year, I'm not going to, uh, I'm not going to amp you up Sunday to yeah, chase your dreams. Okay. Um, I, though you should, you should chase your dreams. Okay. You know, awesome. Um, but, but I'm, I'm not here to give you a Ted talk. What I am going to do though, is encourage you into becoming the exact image of the one that you were made in, which is the Lord. And, um, and if you will trust me, if you will trust those that the Lord has put in leadership, um, if you will trust what the Lord is doing here, I promise you the Lord's going to lead us to some green pastures. He's going to lead us by still waters, and he will restore our soul. He might lead us through the valley of the shadow of death because there's some things in us that really, really need to die. And even if he does that, we fear nothing because he's with us and his rod and staff comfort us. He's prepared a table for us there. So whatever this year holds for us, for me, whatever this year, I mean, like, let's be real. Our economy is about, is, it, most say it's already in a recession. Those who don't say that, it's, it's going to be in a recession, which means um, I know a lot of you were in school back in 2008. I was in school when this was going on. But, like, I mean, some of you might go through a season where you don't know about your job future. Some of you might go through a season where you don't know about your career future, where you don't know about your financial future. We might go through this as a church. We, I mean, we've never lacked. I don't believe we ever will. But I'm saying, like, if, if the Lord decides to lead us through that, it is for a purpose. Therefore, we fear nothing. We face everything in faith, believing that he has prepared a table before us, even in the presence of our enemies, and it's there that our cup overflows and goodness and mercy chase after us all the days of our life. And we dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And so I, uh, I want to pray, and then I'll be done because it's 11. But um, let, let this, this is what we're le- leading into on Sunday. This is the stuff I didn't have time for on Sunday because we're going to go through some deeper stuff. But I wanted to set it up today 
that like this year, this year is going to be summed up by whether or not we make the decision to leave everything and follow. Leave everything and follow. And what we're going to talk about Sunday is Peter gets that call twice in his life. At the beginning when he is introduced to Jesus and at the end after Jesus has died and resurrected. And there's some nuances there because the first time Peter is called, he leaves everything and follows. The second time Peter is called, the invitation is not follow me. The invitation is, do you love me? Which is agape, which is prefer. Okay? And then what he's told after is to feed. Three times. And so we're going to talk about that on Sunday. But before we do that, I think it's imperative that we get the first call, though, which is to leave. Because there's a lot of people who have become Christians, right, and, and have never left anything to follow him. You know what I mean? Like, it, it was like we got an emotional moment in service. We got goosebumps. We ran to the front. We repeated a prayer. Then we kind of went back to our lives. And now it's just like it's just a, a thing. You know what I mean? And are you saved? Are your sins forgiven? Absolutely. But, Lord, like, that is a terrible place to stop. You know what I'm saying? Well, I'm forgiven. I'll spend forever in heaven. I, I, that, that's an awful way to live. That, that's not at all why you were saved. You know what I'm saying? Um, in fact, you were, you were not even saved to be forever in heaven. You were saved to let heaven invade your life until it becomes the new creation here. <clears throat> Heaven's nothing but a blueprint for the future of this. So you might be in heaven at some point. But even you being in heaven is going to be nothing but a foretaste of what eternity is going to be, which is new creation. So this matters. And what we do in our lives here, it matters. And what we do in this church matters. I don't care if we're five people, if we're three people, or if we're 500 people. What we do in this building matters, absolutely matters. And, um, and I'm willing to give everything that I have to make sure that we see it come to pass. And, uh, and we will. And I'm, I'm asking you to do the same if you're involved in this. This is, this is going to be a year. You're going to experience a measure of the Lord you never dreamed that you would experience. I, I promise you that. That's not even prophetic. I'm, I'm guaranteeing that. You will experience a measure of the Lord that you've never experienced in your entire life this year if, if you decide that's what you want. And if you decide that's what you want, that means you will have to leave everything and follow. And of course, and like I said, just to give you the caveat for those that take everything literal, what I'm not saying is you quit your job, you go homeless, and you just spend every night at the church. That's not what I'm saying, okay? I'm, I'm talking about a mindset. I'm talking about a, a way that you make decisions. I'm talking about a way that you lead your family. I'm talking about a way that you lead your time and your money. I leave everything. I lay down everything that identified me before Christ rewrote my story and follow him into a depth of a story that is greater and deeper and more joyful and more hopeful than I ever dreamed, yet deep down in my guts always hoped was available. And that's, that's, that's what we have. That's what we have access to. So I don't even know how many of you are still here. I might be speaking to myself right now. I don't know. But if I am, it feels great. So uh, let me pray, and then, uh, and then we will uh, be done for today, and I'll, I'll see you back here on Sunday. Thank you guys for praying on Tuesday night. Jordan's feeling a lot better today. Um, I'm feeling a lot better today. And, um, 
And so, uh, not I wasn't sick. It's just, you know, my the heart stuff I had going on. But um, anyway, so let me pray, and then we'll be done. Lord, I thank you that you have invited us into a marriage that allows us to become one yet again with you. And I pray that because we have become one with you, that everything in our lives would look like your life and everything that your life does not contain that our lives would not contain, that everything that you, uh, every process by which you make decisions and that you see everything in your life would be the process in which we make decisions and see everything in our lives that we would actually begin to bear the image and the likeness of the one that we are in the image and the likeness of. I pray that we will be like the man on the yacht in G.K. Chesterton, that we would be like the man on the yacht, that as we are discovering what we believe is something new because we've never been told it in our entire lives, that as we discover it, we find out that it's actually old. It might be new to us, but it's actually old and ancient. And when we find the ancient path that is the road less traveled by, that will make all the difference. And we're going to have kids that grow up in such an anointing that when they speak, things begin to transform that when they speak, things begin to come into alignment in people's lives and in our culture's life, that when they speak, everything in heaven begins to agree with their words because they had moms and dads and grandmas and grandpas that when they were young and had no kids or even marriages yet, they made a decision to choose a path that cost them whatever it cost as long as they were able to inherit the king. And so, God, I pray that we would taste the new wine of your spirit in a way we've never tasted it before in this year, and that will prove us. It will prove what's on the inside of us, and that trust will never be an issue again after what we see this year. We love you and honor you in your name. Amen. Love you guys. I'll see y'all Sunday.